Hello, and welcome to LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Nurse Assessment Coordination, ANAC. I'm your host, Rebecca, and today I'm here with Jane Belt, ANAC Curriculum Development Specialist, to continue our podcast series called Deep Dive into MDS 3.0 Quality Measures. Welcome, Jane. Oh, thanks, Rebecca. It's always good to talk about quality measures because they are important. Today, we're going to discuss three measures, two of which are for long-stay residents, losing too much weight, and the one about depressive symptoms. And the third measure is a short-stay measure about residents who improved in their ability to move around. Great, Jane. It sounds like we'll have a lot of good information for our listeners. Where would you like to get started? Well, let's start with the long-stay MDS 3.0 quality measures. And before we get into the real specifics, I just want to do a few reminders about the long-stay measures. The residents triggering these measures include those with at least 101 or more cumulative days in the facility. Both of these long-stay measures we're going to talk about today use a long-stay selected target assessment for identifying the residents with the conditions we're going to talk about weight loss or depressive symptoms. And that target assessment is an assessment within the most recent three months. So the assessment must be within the resident's selected episode, have a qualifying reason for assessment, and a target date that is no more than 120 days before the end of the episode. The qualifying assessments include your OBRA comprehensive and quarterly assessments, or a Medicare five-day, or an OBRA discharge return, or a discharge return not anticipated. Thank you, Jane. Those are some good reminders and so important for understanding how the QMs work. All right, so what can you tell us about the weight loss measure? Okay, well, figuring out if the resident will trigger the measure is not difficult, as actually it only relies on one item on the MDS, and that is item K0300 is coded a 2 for yes, meaning the resident experienced a weight loss of 5% or more in the last month or 10% or more in the last six months, and that they weren't on a physician-prescribed weight loss regimen. There are four exclusions. Target assessment is an OBRA admission or a PPS five-day. Their prognosis of life expectancy has been coded as less than six months in J1400, or that item is dashed. The third exclusion is they're receiving hospice care in O0100K2, indicating that they are receiving hospice care, or the data's missing. And the fourth exclusion is that the weight loss item is coded with a dash, so there's no data to use. And the other thing is that there are no covariates used to risk adjust this measure. Jean, why are the admission or five-day assessments not used? 
Well, these assessments, the mission or the five-day, most likely indicate that the resident's new to the facility. So the issue of weight loss would have been out of their control. Resident lost it before they got there. And the poor prognosis or hospice care, those folks are excluded, would also suggest that weight loss would not be unexpected. Yes, it's undesirable even for those residents, but it's not unexpected due to their failing health status. So the measures set up that the facilities are not going to trigger residents whose weight loss is not an indication of the care that they've been receiving in the facility. Thanks, Jane. I think that makes sense. I know we always talk about the necessity of accuracy of the MDS, and I suppose although this measure is triggered by one MDS item, there are essentials to accurate coding that make it so the quality measure results are the residents who have experienced significant weight loss. Is that right? Absolutely, Rebecca. In this case of the weight loss measure, the accuracy hinges. This is not a big deal, but it's so important. The accuracy is that the weight has to be accurate. And that sounds easy enough, you know, okay, just go get a weight. But I'll tell you, in the long-term care setting, accurate weighing procedures are so difficult to maintain that accuracy from week to week or month to month, however often the weight is being taken. So I wanna take a few moments to go over some ideas to help achieve that super accurate, what I'm gonna call a weight team. And that is where my ideas start. Create a weight team. At least two staff members that understand the importance of accurate weight. They're trained on the facility weight procedure and they understand the importance of each of the steps. And they know that they have to follow each of those steps every time they're doing a weight and that they know when they see a variance in the weight data, they know "Ah, we need to take a look at how we did this. Maybe we need to reweigh right then, not two days later, but right then. So if I think about the expectations for weight taking for a facility or a unit, the things that I would consider on that procedure would be, what time of day are we going to do the weights? Residents shoes on or off? How much clothing are they to wear? And depending on your facility, you might have certain scales for certain residents that you want to use that same scale each time, whether it's like a wheelchair scale, a standing scale, or I know some facilities have the scale built into the floor. So which resident is weighed on which scale? Are the scales calibrated on a maintenance schedule? Has the schedule followed? This weight team, these folks are trained to understand that a difference of even two pounds or three pounds can be very significant for some residents that have, you know, like congestive heart failure or renal conditions. Maybe they're a dialysis resident. So, and again, I just have to stress that these folks understand 
part of the procedure when to reweigh. So they got to have access to the previous weights so that they know, wait a minute, this weight's off 10 pounds. That can't be right. And they know, let's reweigh that resident right now. And then you start, you know, you, you totally get that resident back on the scale, seated properly, making sure all those steps have been followed. Thanks, Jane. That's good advice for improving weight consistency measurements. Now let's take a quick commercial break. Listeners, please stay tuned. You're invited to refresh, renew, and refocus at the APACAN 2021 virtual conference this April 14th and 15th and April 21st and 22nd. Get ready for the new year and entirely new type of virtual event. Registration is now open. Members of ANAC, AADNS, and APACAN save 50%. Learn more and register today at aapacn.org. Welcome back. Let's talk about the other long stay measure, the percent of residents who have depressive symptoms. What can you tell us about this, Jane? Well, this is a very important measure because the measure uses the resident's voice doing that by way of the resident mood interview called the PHQ-9 Patient Health Questionnaire. And there's nine items, so that's why the nine gets in there. That mood interview is in section D of the MDS. And specifically, the measure reports the percentage of long-stay residents who had symptoms of depression during the two-week period preceding the MDS target assessment date. And according to the MDS Quality Users Manual, again, that's version 14 right now, the target assessment meets either of the following two conditions. They either have little interest or pleasure in doing things, half or more of the days over the last two weeks, or the item feeling down, depressed, hopeless is coded for half or more of the days over the last two weeks. So it's either one of those and the resident interview total severity score indicates signs of depression. And the score would be somewhere from 10 to 27. Now, if the resident is unable to complete the mood interview, then we go to the staff assessment interview and it's called PHQOV, Patient Health Questionnaire Observational Version, because basically it's based on observations of the resident. We're not hearing their voice because they weren't able to be interviewed. So this is used again to determine if the resident has depressive symptoms. The same items, little interest or feeling hopeless are used as our qualifiers, and the total severity score is 10 to 30. The increase in that score, there's three points difference, is because there's an extra item on the staff assessment about the resident being easily annoyed. So that additional item adds three possible points to the total severity score. And while I'm talking about MDS coding, I want to stress 
to our listeners that yes, the key items for triggering the measure are those items, little pleasure and feeling down, but the total severity score is the sum of the scores of all of the symptoms in section D. So you just can't focus on, well, I'm gonna just really focus on those two items. No, it's because again, you're getting a total score that's using all of the items in the mood interview. They're all important. Thanks, Jane. It sounds like we covered the numerator, residents that will trigger the measure. What about the denominator? Are there any exclusions or risk adjusters? Well, first, we'll do the easy part. There are no risk adjustments or covariates for the measure. As far as the denominator, it is all the long-stay residents with a target assessment, except those with exclusions. And there's two exclusions. So no covariates, but we do have two exclusions. And those are B0100, the comatose status is coded as present or it's dashed. And if both the resident interview and staff interview for mood are dashed. Great, Jane. I think we have all the parts of this measure. It sure sounds like the mood interview is very important. Oh, you have that so right, Rebecca. All of the interviews on the MDS, the brief interview for mental status called the BIMS, the patient health questionnaire, PHQ-9, what we're talking about now for mood, the activities or preferences from section F, and the pain interview in section J, they're all critical because the mission is we need to hear the resident's voice. Who knows better than the resident what they are thinking, how they are feeling, how they want to spend their time, and the level of pain that they're experiencing and how that can be affecting them. So it's all so important to get that resident's voice. Now, we have to make sure that we have a process for a successful interview. These are a big deal. And so no matter which interview the staff might be doing, the same mechanics apply for each one. So the interviews must be attempted with all residents. And there are guidelines in the RAI user's manual to follow if the interview must be conducted with the staff. But for today, I'm gonna focus on the resident interviews. First, the environment where you're gonna interview them needs to be private and quiet. Don't want them to get distracted by noises or other people moving around. So we need to make sure we've got a good quiet environment the interviewer needs to use the resident's preferred language. Maybe we've got to get an interpreter in there. The interviewer needs to sit so the resident can see and hear them. And the interview's got to have the communication alternatives ready to go if in fact the resident cannot answer the questions verbally, but they could do so in writing with the use of cue cards, or using sign language. The interviews are scripted. 
So the language on the MDS must not be altered. You want the resident to feel comfortable, willing to talk. And it does sometimes take time to establish the needed rapport to get them to open up and talk. The interviews are so important and the mood interview really works to find out how the resident is feeling about themselves, about their life over the last two weeks. And you know, when you think about the pandemic, I can't stress enough how important it is to make sure that whoever is doing the interviews knows the why and how to conduct it successfully. We need to hear the resident's voice. Great, Jane. Thanks for those tips and thoughts about the interviews. They are so important. Let's talk now about the last quality measure for today. Of course, and that last measure, as I mentioned earlier, is a short stay measure, and it's for residents who have spent 100 days or less in the facility. The actual name is the percent of residents who made improvements in function. And you'll also notice that in the five-star user's manual, the measure is called residents who improved in their ability to move around on their own. Either way, the measure reports the percentage of short-stay residents who were discharged from the nursing home and gained more independence in transfer, locomotion, and walking while they were being cared for in our facility. It sounds interesting. Let's get to the components. This is an interesting measure as to derive who triggers it because CMS looks at the resident's self-performance of certain activities of daily living, ADLs, and the ones that we're looking at are actually called mid-loss activities of daily living, not the late loss, these are mid-loss. And those are transfer, locomotion on the unit, and walk in the corridor. And we're looking at how they perform at the time of admission and compare their performance in those exact same ADLs to the score that they achieve at the time of discharge. So the assessments used for the numerator are an OBRA admission assessment or the PPS five-day assessment. That's where the CMS gets the admission performance. And then they use a valid discharge assessment with the date that's closest to the valid preceding five-day or OBRA admission where a return is not anticipated. So that's how they derive the discharge assessment. So the score is defined as the sum of self-performance codes for transfer, locomotion on the unit, walk in the quarter. Now codes of seven, you know, only occurred once or twice, or eight, activity did not occur. Those are recoded to fours, total dependence, just for the triggering of this measure. So the sum on discharge 
for those three ADLs is compared to the score at admission. And we're sure hoping that it's less than the score on the admission assessment. Again, that's either the OBRA admission or the PPS five-day. Why is that? Because this measure, it's desirable to have a change in performance that is negative. The discharge score minus the admission or five-day assessment score. In other words, the discharge score is lower than the admission score. And what does that mean? The resident improved in their function to get around. So the denominator is all short-stay residents with a valid discharge assessment, which only includes the OBRA discharge return not anticipated, and there must be a valid preceding five-day or OBRA admission for that same episode of care. There are also several exclusions for the assessments that are used to measure calculations. And those exclusions are comatose B0100 on the five-day or the admission, life expectancy of less than six months, so J1400 is coded a one on the five-day or admission, hospice O0100K2 is coded with a one, on the five-day or the admission assessment. Residents with G0100B1, D1, and E1 are missing on any of the assessments used to calculate. And again, those are the same ADLs that we're thinking about, but the data is missing, so we can't use them. The other exclusion is a resident with no impairment. In other words, when you look at the transfer locomotion and walk in the corridor, there's no data. They had no impairment. Everything was coded zero. They had great function. Or the last exclusion is the resident with an unplanned discharge on any assessment during the care episode. So it was an unplanned discharge. So again, they didn't really get to stay long enough for whatever interventions you were using to improve their function. So they excluded those, so that's good. And while I'm going, I'll finish off reviewing the components and list the covariates. And again, these are looked for on the admission or five-day assessment. And again, the covariates are used to risk adjust. So each one of those that I'm going to be listing would have points attached to it that would be used to risk adjust, trying to level that playing field. And so it is interesting that one of the covariates is based on their age, whether they're less than 54 years of age or are they 55 to 84? Or are they older than 84? So again, that's going to use A0900 to determine their age. And again, the older they are, they would have more covariate points added because, you know, they're going to be 
it's more difficult for them to improve. The other thing, there's a difference between male and female. So gender is a covariate. Whether the resident has a severe cognitive impairment. And that comes from the items C0500, C0700, and C1000. There's also a covariate that's called the long form ADL score which sums the self-performance scores for the Section G items of bed mobility, transfer, locomotion on the unit, dressing, eating, toilet use, and personal hygiene. And that's called the long form ADL score. Another covariate is if the resident has heart failure in I0600, if they've got I-4500, which is CVA, TIA, or stroke, if that's coded. If hip fracture is coded in I-3900 or other fracture in I-4000. Jane, can you remind us what is the effect of the covariates? Well, that's a great question, Rebecca because the covariates are so important to code accurately on assessments. You know, a lot of folks worry about what's in the numerator and the denominator, and I get that. But these covariates are what's going to level that playing field. In other words, facilities with a larger number of residents with covariate conditions would have higher scores than facilities with a similar number of residents in the denominator, but with fewer of the covariate conditions. The covariates adjust for that. So remember, we say that the covariates level the playing field. The resident's still gonna trigger, but the quality measure rate is adjusted to account for a higher number of covariates. And as you remember from the list we went over, that several of the covariates come from section I, active diagnosis. So the assessments need to make sure that there is a physician documented diagnosis to support the coding. Thanks, Jane. That's a good reminder. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, just one. In thinking about this last quality measure, it really is key to remember that this measure, unlike many of our quality measures that we've been talking about, this measure captures positive outcomes, not negative. This measure allows the facilities to show progress in the three specific ADLs, and again, we're comparing how they performed at admission and how they're performing those same ADLs on discharge. So per usual, accuracy of the coding of the ADLs is so important. And one thing that I would mention about coding of the item locomotion on the unit is that when we look at that, sometimes it doesn't consider all the performances of the resident that should go in that item. And what do I mean? Locomotion on the unit is that you are to code not only 
how the resident moves in the corridor, but also in their own room. So again, making sure we get all those performances are considered vital to accuracy. Thank you so much, Jane. This was a lot of great information. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast informative and helpful, don't hesitate to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss a future episode. For more resources and tools on quality measures, please visit our website at www.aanac.org.